Welcome to Data Driven Recruiting. In this podcast, we talk about strategies and techniques for leveraging objective talent data to improve hiring processes. Welcome back to Data Driven Recruiting. My name is Sophia Beck, and I'm joined by my co host, Tigran Sloyan. Hey, Sophia. Hi, Hi Tigran. So, what are we talking about today? Well, today, which is, um, you know, we. It's a very interesting topic for the recruiters because it's one of the key metrics that um, recruiters care about and like really set the goal, which is an offer conversion rate. Yep. And I'm excited to talk about uh, the three unconventional ways to improve the offer conversion rate. So yep. we know, you know, there are a lot of tricks or, or I guess just like brute force. You just can pay more, you know. <laughs> and just be a, just just be better better yeah. recruiter, right? Build better relationships, you know, mm-hmm. follow up frequently, keep in yeah. touch, you know, very like, proactive yeah. and, and yeah. so on. Those but everybody is doing that and right. that's not gonna give you edge, right? Because if you're already doing it, everybody's doing it, it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily give you a leg up. So yep. let's talk about what are some of the unconventional ways that can move the needles on offer conversion rate. Yes, uh, because as you said, you know, to stand out in a competitive market, you really want to tap into the more unconventional ways instead of doing what everybody else is doing, while again, not ignoring some of the best practices of things that you should be doing for sure. Right. Uh, so I guess though, to start off with number one is uh, just, and this, some could argue it's conventional. Like if you've been doing this all along, you'll be like, oh, this is conventional. But in my experience, very, very few companies do this, especially very few somewhat larger companies do it. I think smaller companies are better at doing this. And uh, it's about remembering that closing a candidate is not just a recruiter's job, right? It's really easy mm-hmm. to say like, hey, it's your metric, your job, kind of go close the candidate. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it from a candidate's perspective, how am I making my decision to join? Sure, there is compensation. Sure, there is like how, you know, while the recruiter has been sort of presenting the company and everything, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be working with the people that interviewed me. I'm going to be working with the hiring manager. Like that, that is going to be the majority of my job. So uh, getting the team involved in making the close, right? Starting from, hey, reach out to the candidate, say congrats, say how excited you are about working with them. Uh, say what what was the best part about you know the, the, your interview with them right like what did you enjoy the most what made you mm-hmm. say yes in that debrief because uh, yeah. you might assume that well the candidate already knows it but they usually don't right like yeah. it's nice to hear why people like you why they want to work with you and it's yeah. also nice to start building those relationships because relationships can really pull the candidate into the job into the company. Uh, with more confidence rather than like, I don't even know how this is thing, this thing is going to work out. Right. Because it's a, at the end of the day, it's not about, yeah, just a, it's not just a job, right? Like it's not about just how much money you get paid. It's more about how much you're going to enjoy working with these team members right. and how we can grow. And if you can picture that from that interactions, definitely yep. it's going to help. Yeah. Yep. I like that. All right. What are other ways? Yeah, so here's another unconventional one that, again, most recruiters don't think about. It's uh, tools used at the company. And I'll clarify, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if you're interviewing, and I guess this one would be the most sort of relatable if you're a recruiter listening to this. If you're a recruiter interviewing at a company and you find mm-hmm. out that they're using like a very 
uh, antiquated or like, you know, clunky tool uh, at the company, such as they use, I don't know, really old school ATS like Teleo at the company. And if you've had any experience with it, you know how hard it is to use, how much manual work is going to be involved. So even if you love the team, love the company, love the money, uh, if you dread working with certain tools and you find out those are the tools that are going to be used, you're not going to want to join the company. Uh, so making sure candidates have a great uh, experience and understanding with the tools that you're using and you are actually using pretty great tools, especially those that get exposed to the candidate. Uh, because, for example, for engineers, the mm -hmm. clear example there is the interview tool, right? Because you're going to be using some sort of an interview tool to conduct an interview with the candidate. And starting from, hey, if the tool is really terrible, mm -hmm. that tells me something about the company, right? If I'm yeah. feeling very uncomfortable using this, like I'm instantly associating this experience with your company and your company's brand and my impression of your company. Right. And you... Well, sooner or later, I'm going to be one of the interviewers using this tool to interview mm -hmm. candidates. And yeah. I probably wouldn't want to do that and subject the candidates to it and be at the other end of it as well, interacting with that tool. Yeah, because so, I think that also reflects on, yeah, like, is the company going to invest a lot of, you know, efforts to set me for success? Right. Are they going to care about my productivity and like making sure that I can do my best work mm -hmm. uh, with the most modern tools and like, you know, productive ones instead of like trying to figure out how I'm going to hack this around or like, or not having any tool that just right. like, I have to spend a lot of time just doing manual work. That's yeah. really going to reflect on candidate as what is the company is going to be valuing. Yeah. And I mean, how I fit. Yeah. This kind of ties back to the Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow, right? Like the, he got a Nobel Prize for this research that like humans have two modes of thinking. One is the rational one and mm -hmm. careful, uh, deliberate thinking process. The other one is just kind of more reactive and impressionist type. And I think both come in play here, right? Like the rational thinker in you says like, hey, I don't want to be using crappy tools when I join. It's going to slow me down. I'm not going to enjoy my time, yada, yada. But then okay. there is the other, the reactive, the impressionist thinker, which says, if I didn't enjoy my experience with the company while being interviewed, I just mm -hmm. kind of sort of don't like the company. I don't right. like the job. Like, I, how I is get... it going to be different when I actually join and work as a team? Right. Yeah. Like you, you couldn't just kind of mm -hmm. make a very rational reasoning of like the interview tool that you've gotten exposed to, mm -hmm. to why wouldn't you want to join the company, especially if you're not going to be interviewed again by that tool. Let's assume yeah. the candidate experience is bad. The interviewer experience is great. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't tie it very rationally. But again, every interaction the candidate has with the company as they're interviewing makes an impression, makes a, right. an effect. and Emotional connection, right? Yeah. If you exactly. get, if you cringe at something, yep. then it's just like negative association in your it's mind. It's a negative yeah. association. So when you get an offer, it'll be not like, mm, something is not right here. Exactly. Yeah. And this is important to also as a good reminder of why candidate experience matters so much throughout the process, right? From, right. you know, first call with the recruiter all the way down to every interaction from, mm -hmm. uh, especially, for example, if you're doing a real on-site where you go to the office, every interaction matters because it just builds up perception because humans, again, are not just always making a bulleted list of all the rational reasons to and not to join. There is a big component of the emotion and the associations that you've created. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
That's a really great point. Okay, so invest in tools. Use the good tools. <laughs> invest in good tools. Yeah. All right. So what's the the third one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the third one is probably the most impactful and the least kind of conventional out of the, all the ones that we've talked about is uh, widening the top of the funnel and going beyond resumes. Uh, because when people think about like, okay, how do we improve our uh, offer conversion rates? They're kind of thinking narrow, like, okay, what and are locally the, at the yeah. very bottom of the funnel, right? Yeah. Exactly, right. What are the actions, activities that happen at the bottom of the funnel? to kind of how can we improve those but really a lot of the problems start at the very very top of the funnel because mm. at the top of the funnel uh one thing that happens a lot especially at like fast-paced recruiting at like you know hyper growth unicorn companies is you just default to uh looking for pedigree right yeah because it feels easy uh, I mean, even right. though it's, it's still like searchable, yeah, <laughs> you it's can just searchable. go on LinkedIn, you can exactly. just use a filter. Yeah, yeah. like company XYZ, worked at company XYZ, went to school XYZ. Uh, but what really that really translates to is you're just creating, like engineers call it technical debt. You're creating like a recruiting debt that gets paid later on because candidates that have a lot of pedigree also get a lot more reach out, get a lot more competition, get a lot more offers when it comes to yeah, offers. Yeah, every other recruiter in town is also doing the exactly same thing. Everybody else knows where they are, who they are, what they do. Uh, yeah. Whereas when you widen the top of the funnel, when you target a broader audience, uh, you are in effect increasing your chances of closing these candidates because they are going to have less competition. They are going to have less competitive offers. They are going to be more grateful for you for giving them the opportunity, giving them the chance instead of being like, hey, you know, I went to Stanford, worked at Google. I can walk out of here and get five other offers from 10 other companies across the street. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if they're going to try to collect the offers and, you know, your offer rate just goes down, um, yep. offer conversion rate goes down. And it sounds like that's going to translate into not just uh, closing this candidate, but retention afterwards, right? Because right. this candidate will just get pinged all the time. Exactly. Um, even after they join. Yeah. So, and that's even deeper level technical debt that gets overlooked even more. Like mm -hmm. how is how are, how well are you going to be able to retain this talent even if you do manage to close them? Because the funnel doesn't just stop at closing the candidate. Right. It needs to recycle back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so how about the but widening the top of funnel? I mean, it sounds good, but how like how do you also make sure that you're finding the right talent? In yeah. That? That's uh, the challenge, right? Yeah, we've covered this at one of our other episodes as well, where really widening the top of the funnel means like you need to have more ability to assess talent than just like looking at a resume because resume is one signal. If you can generate more signals, and one of the obvious ones being assessment, direct measurement of ability signal, and direct measurement of ability is usually limited by how many interviewing hours you can dedicate to that direct measurement, but it doesn't have to be, right? Because more and more automated assessments are enabling recruiting teams to kind of have an infinite lever at identifying talent without having to rely on human interviewers conducting manual interviews, which is very costly, very expensive. So do you just default back to like a resume-based approach? Right, right. Yeah. And even the like these days we have like those 
resume screening type of a tools, but even that, that's not going to really give you much better results. Yeah, I think measuring like skills directly would have actually combined with this, your approach yeah. would have worked well here. The resume screening tools, if anything, sometimes amplify all the reasons that you shouldn't be doing it. Cause yeah. what, are, what do they screen for? They just kind of automate what humans do, which is look keywords. for keywords, 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 yeah. keywords. And, and then, then a lot of candidates now use the software to be able to rank better on yep. those tools, right? So it's like a machine talking <laughs> to machine. It never right. ends. Yep. Uh, more noise and not enough signal. Yeah, yep. I agree. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today and um, sharing this, you know, tips on how we can improve our offer conversion rates. We things that you know are not necessarily so commonly widely spread so that we can have a, a better results. Um, yep. Well, the yeah. secrets are out there. Now everybody's going to do it. Right, right. <laughs> but it's it's also how you do it, not only what you do it. So exactly. hopefully our listeners can um, take it in, internalize it, and really get good impact out of it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today uh, for our listeners as well. More, for more tips and insights on data during recruiting, please visit ddr.codesignal.com. We'll see you next time.